like uh, God disclosed anything to you while we were worshiping? Did you have an unsettled peace like I did before we started today? <laughs> it felt like a blanket of peace. Oh, I like that. Debbie loves blankets. Yeah. Anybody else? Really? Well, bless that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, victorious, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's... Uh, when uh, Brent and I were talking through the week, we were just, just you know, poor guy. I sent him like a plethora of text messages yesterday. It was reading like a novel. It just kind of went from chapter to chapter. And, you know, and what, what a great guy. At some point he said, uh, I'll probably read this towards the end of the day. Thanks, David. <laughs> I, don't know. I got it off my chest anyways. It was all good. But one of the things I was talking about was just, uh, um, just the different stages of the heart go through in worship. You know, that there's this sort of awakening, there's this call, and there's awakening that happens. There's a, a revelation of who God is to us in that. And then, and then with that is kind of like this generous response that comes as we are giving more revelation of Jesus. Jesus is continually bringing his revelation to us, isn't he not? Um, you know, I, I kind of, I pray for that. Um, even, as, even as I prepared um, here today for this message of this week, today we're opening up our scriptures and we're beginning in a mini-series from the 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Um, and if you know anything about Matthew, he's all about the kingdom. The king has come. It's all about the kingdom. And roughly, landing roughly in the middle of, the, of, of Matthew's book, this chapter represents three of five recorded long talks from Matthew's account of Jesus' life and ministry. I've entitled this series, uh, oh, Man, have I done that already? There goes, there goes the technology. I've entitled this the, the Storyteller's Discourse. I, I thought that was a better word than parabolic. I just sounded kind of like way too technical, didn't it? Like mathematicians would be looking for formulas if I used a word like that. But it, uh, the first and, and longest discourse that, that we began looking at some time ago was Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And beginning with his blessing over the crowds of disenfranchised and marginalized and weary listeners, some of them still reeling, some of them still reeling from the effects, really, of lives healed and, and demons cast out. All mixed into the crowds is, is the, the news of this Savior has come. Is this the one that we've been expecting, that we've been looking for? 
Nobody has, has done things like this Jesus has done. We've never seen this before. And we've never heard anyone teach like this before. Looking out over that crowd, Jesus laid out his, he went on to lay out his life in his ministry manifesto, I've often referred to. He taught about the realities of sacrificial love, of marriage, of lust, of worldliness, of persecutions, of prayer and false prophets. Wow, that must have been quite a preach. Kind of went beyond a three-point sermon, I would think. The second discourse found in Matthew's chapter 10 is a capture of Jesus' instruction to his disciples, sometimes referred to as the missionary discourse. This summer we examined those same scriptures. I'm not sure how many of you were there around to hear that. But see, moved with compassion for the crowds that were pressing into him, the Lord of the harvest, let me refer to him as that again, the Lord of the harvest called his disciples together and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Everybody say every. Every. Just not some, right? Every. Hmm. And after instructing them, he sent the disciples, the disciples out ahead of him, didn't he? Together we learned that the work of the Father's kingdom was entrusted to his Son. That was obvious. But of course, we're, we're watching the work of the Father rolling out, and, and many watching it with almost unbelief. That work didn't stop with Jesus, and it didn't even stop with his closest disciples, but he has entrusted the church, he has entrusted you and I, to continue his work here in the world. And over these next few weeks and until the celebration of Advent, we're opening up Matthew's gospel again. And we're going to reveal this third discourse of Jesus' teaching. It involves a collection of parables, of stories, doesn't it? Stories that were intelligently and divinely told by the messenger. Stories that were designed to capture our imaginations to capture the hearts of the listeners. Stories that challenged old religious paradigms, old ways of thinking. Stories that awakened an understanding, an increased understanding of God's kingdom. How many would like that? Me, I, I would like that. Stories that unveiled the problematic issues of this, of our hearts. The hearts of men, and of this world, and of a very real enemy called Satan. And finally, stories that pointed to the inevitable judgment and harvest that is to come. They come together, both the harvest and the judgment. And even when I use the word judgment of God, there are thoughts that roll around in your mind about that. Ways that you see God's judgment rolling out. But haven't we already been challenged by the Jesus who presents himself and says to his disciples, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Why don't we pray? Jesus, my hand was up. Many other hands were up. And Lord Jesus, we're, we're asking you just to disclose more of yourself to us. Like the song that we sang, will you not draw near to us as we draw near to you? We commit our hearts and our lives to you here in this place together, Jesus. God, we want so much to be shaped by you. We want our eyes to open again and to see the beauty that you've created that's all around us, that's in fact in us and in one another. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray, and just rest now on your word. Spirit, come and rest on your word and rest on your people, we pray. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Thought you were supposed to respond. Amen. Yeah, okay, come on. Well, we got a few Pentecostals here, right? Like, yeah. Amen? Yeah, see that? I have to stroke, stoke that too hard, did I? <laughs> Preach a little longer? No. No, I'm trying not to. Listen, there's, there's, some, there's some neat other things that are going to be shared here today, but let's just open up God's Word. Reading here from Matthew chapter 13 on the first nine verses. So, Put your imagination caps on and try to imagine the scene with Matthew here. It says, later that day, Jesus left the house and, and sat behind, beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, and he got into a boat. Then he sat there and he taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. And as he scattered them across his fields, some fields, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they they died. Jesus, this is not a very happy story. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Wow. Don't you just love it when God speaks and better yet, we're actually listening? Don't you love it when he speaks and when the things he's sharing, they, they actually make perfectly good sense to us? As I've been maturing in life and faith and more and more I've come to appreciate the myriad of ways that, that 
I learned from my Father in heaven. Leaping out at me time after time are those verses from the scripture. (laughs) Where I'm commanded by the prophets and by teachers, by God himself and by Jesus, essentially, if you've got ears, then listen. (laughs) If you've got ears, then listen up. On the practical side of things, we have to be able to put ourselves in a position where we can hear. Isn't that right? Can you guys hear me okay today? Preach a little louder? No, I don't think I need to. <laughs> I, think, I think Jesus had a foot up on me because he didn't have to deal with all of this stuff. Right, guys? <laughs> Now, Jesus has left his house, and he's gone to sit down, to sit alongside the Sea of Galilee. I've, do you guys ever find yourself sitting down by a lake or a river? or Just, you live in chase. Of course you do. Yeah. Where, where do you go in chase? The park? Okay. Yeah, a big lake and a pier. Oh, the shoe swap. I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's a nice place to sit and pray. You could sit and pray out here, but we've got a lot of geese on the shores. <laughs> it, it's just a nice place to be. Yeah, so maybe Jesus likes just sitting down and kicking with his father, right? But a whole crowd shows up, doesn't it, in this story? A large crowd stood, gathered around the young prophet and teacher. (laughs) So Jesus got up and he got into a fishing boat. And I imagine, I, I imagine that he compelled the operator to push him out from the shore just a little ways. I'm sure there were people standing up on the shore going, where's he going now? But see, the, the steep banks of the inlet, maybe, the, the undisturbed surface of the water acted like this well-designed amphitheater. For any of you who have been out on the water when it's smooth and calm, like, it's amazing how your voice can travel. When we were kids on the Shuswa, we had a raft that we used to push out about 150 feet from the shore and drop an anchor. We had a we actually busted down the barbecue at that time. In those days, we used briquettes. Do you remember what those things were? We didn't have a, yeah, we didn't pack natural gas out there with this. We had little briquettes, and we'd set that up. We'd roast hot dogs. We'd, it, if we got out further enough on the sh- shore, the other th- neat thing that would happen is, is that we could pick up the radio waves from Vancouver, and we could les- listen to the latest BC Lions game. And we used to sit out there and just make a lot of noise. And then we'd find out later from our parents and from my sisters exactly everything that we were talking about. So you got to be careful. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He pushed himself out there into this well-designed amphitheater 
And without having to shout over top the heads of the people, Jesus remained seated while he spoke to the still standing crowd. They were standing. You guys are sitting. They were standing. But he also assumed the cultural position of a teacher, didn't he? It was customary for the rabbis and the teachers to sit while the students stood up. I can just hear them now. I hope he's not going to be long. But, you know, in part, in the culture, it was done as a show of respect for the teacher. And it was the teacher's business to concentrate on communicating to his followers. It was the listener's responsibility to do everything they could to listen to their teacher. If you've got ears, then listen. Jesus had much to say to his followers, and he chose stories in the forms of parables and metaphors to draw people into his message. Essentially, the overarching theme of Jesus' parables was focused on the kingdom of God. And this shouldn't be surprising to us when we remember that the central purpose of Jesus' coming was to establish the kingdom of his Father here on the earth, wasn't it? John the Baptist, who was sent by God to prepare the hearts of the people for Jesus' coming, had one basic message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he, that is Jesus, went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching that the good news of the kingdom and the healing of every disease and the sickness among people. Jesus not only talked about the kingdom, but he demonstrated that the kingdom was here, that it arrived with him. He came bearing good news. And the gospel was good news that God was among his people. And he was establishing his rulership amongst men and women. He didn't come just to merely glance by our lives, but to invest himself right into our lives. To shift and change our circumstances, or at least how we see our circumstances, to change everything in us. Jesus demonstrated that royal authority by deposing every illness, every demon and sickness, and even over death itself. Jesus had come to establish his Father's kingdom, but undergirding everything was an urgency in things that he was sharing. Several of his stories, and we'll look at this uh, through the series, several of his stories looked ahead and they, and they warned of a coming great judgment. A time once and for all where God would establish his kingdom by rooting out all wickedness. That is good news. It's good news for the world. It's good news for you and I. The theme of the kingdom was nothing new, however, for the listeners. 
especially those trained up in Hebrew scriptures. They knew God wanted to be a ruler of his people. They knew that he had established his lordship over them at the Exodus under Moses and had, conf had confirmed his lordship under the monarchy of David and Solomon. They also believed that God would again establish his manifest glory among them through the line of David. Do you remember that promise to David? That you will forever have someone from your lineage sitting on this throne. Jesus was from that lineage, was he not? But until then, this is something that many of them reserved only for heaven and to be celebrated by angels. John came preaching that the kingdom was about to come. And Jesus came revealing the nature of his kingdom, didn't he? The nature of his father and his father's kingdom. He, he welcomed everyone and he loved unreservedly. He presented wisdom and comfort and, and he exercised both love and power. They, they, were, they were soulmates. They came together, love and power. Now, power without love is something unbridled, isn't it? But Jesus came demonstrating both of them together. And importantly, Jesus came to redeem our image of kingship. He came to redeem the image of true kingship. His coming as God's son and Israel's revealed king was in sharp contrast to the kings of the earth. He didn't come to rule with an overlording and iron grip. Instead, he humbled himself, didn't he? And, he? and he offered himself up as a servant. John and Jesus, the messenger and the savior, came with a message and a revelation of God's kingdom. But it came in a way that no one expected. Especially the way many Jewish leaders expected and longed for to come. They were looking to depose their oppressors, Rome, and to reestablish their kingdom. They weren't looking for a, a gruff desert prophet or an itinerant Galilean carpenter. That, I, that was nowhere in their mind or thinking. And if the miracles demonstrated the power of the kingdom and the compassion of the king, then Jesus presented stories in a context to help his followers and to help all of us to understand the message in the work of his kingdom. Three things. Three things we need to unwrap the story behind the stories that are being told. First thing, what was the setting of the parable? In other words, context matters. Jesus, of course, still speaks to us through his word. But context matters. What gave rise to the story? What, what kind of questions was Jesus trying to address in the minds of his followers and even his closest disciples? And next, we have to grasp the message itself. And finally, we look at the demands being presented to us. It isn't enough to have 
an understanding of the message. Listen to me, this is an important one. It isn't enough that we have an understanding of the message. But that we're acting out of obedience to the things that have been revealed to us. Do you hear that? That we're acting out on the things learned. Only when we act on things revealed can we actually really lay claim to knowing the truth of the things that have been taught to us. Only then can we say that this truth has authority in my life. The setting. Jesus had begun to use the parables at a time of rising conflict in his ministry. And an opposition to his message, his version, his rollout, his understanding of his father's kingdom. <laughs> they, they eventually all lead somewhere. It's all good. His miracles, his bold claims put him in direct conflict with Jewish leaders. And especially the Pharisees who saw themselves, listen, these guys saw themselves as the guardians of their tradition and their faith. They were passionate about what they believed. They were the protectors of Israel's true faith. And many of these had been doubling down the pressure on God's people all that time as well. There was among them a stricter observation of the law. They were, were trying to promote this to God's people as a means to usher in the renewal of their kingdom. Only when, when God's people get it right, when they're obedient to him and they, and they do everything that the law commands, can God really truly come with power. They believe this. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe if we just prayed a little harder. Have you ever felt that coming at you? Right? Maybe you just stop having all those stupid thoughts. Maybe if you throw your TV out. Now, <laughs> oh, come on, Pastor. Yeah, get rid of your. Maybe you get rid of that sports channel. Yeah, all the women said amen. There's probably one or two of you that go, I like the sports channel. But maybe you just tried harder. And their conflict widened. Like, get this. Their conflict widened when Jesus violated the Sabbath laws. Do you understand why that's so significant, right? If we just keep the laws, this guy's coming and he's breaking the laws. He's a leader and everybody's seeing what he's doing. He's plucking the heads off of green in the field while they walk through it on Sabbath. How unholy and unrighteous is that? And his disciples are almost celebrative. Like, what the heck's going on with these guys? Don't they know that we got a serious revival coming on here. We need to bear down. Oops. I might have strayed over a line there. And then he was healing a man with a, who had a withered hand in the Jewish synagogue. And he did it on Sabbath. He healed somebody. What is he thinking? 
Matthew 12, 14 says, the Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. Oh, that's godly. But see, for all intents and purposes, Jesus had pitted himself against the very things that they believed. And the rhetoric and the conflict, it was escalating. The Pharisees accused Jesus of calling on the prince of demons when he healed a man born blind and dumb by a demonic spirit and power. And Jesus was not silent. He, he pointedly responded by calling out to them, you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? Did you think Jesus was meek and mild? You got some illusion in your head that he, he didn't know how to pull it out once in a while. Listen, there were sharp conflicts. There were staggering claims. And, and all these would have been weighing on the hearts and the minds of the disciples who had left everything to follow him. Come on. Even when you hear here in these days something that's not true, are, is, are you not troubled by it? I, I, do we not? Are you, are you worried about missing the coming revival? I hope not. So what about the kingdom? If it really was here, why were the people who should have known the most about God's kingdom so pitted against Jesus and the message that he carried? Well, the message, the story that Jesus told, painted a scene every one of his listeners would have watched time after time of farmers sowing seed over their little plots of land, and of good seed, seed that needed to find itself rooted in good soil to ultimately flourish. And reading ahead, the seed represents and holds the promise of the life and a, a revelation of the kingdom of God. The sower in this situation is Jesus, who ushers in his Father's kingdom. But it also includes us. It includes anyone who wants to carry that truth in them and risk enough to share that life and truth with others. The footpath, the shallow and rocky ground, the, the soil riddled with thorns, and finally the good soil are all reflective of the lives and the hearts of men, of mankind, of us, of the people who were listening at that time. And then finally there's the demand. Jesus presents us with a story that captures both failure and success. Have you noticed that? In this world and in our pursuit of God and in our participation and our celebration of God's kingdom, we will experience a full gamut of setbacks and failures. Have you managed to avoid them in your life so far? No. But isn't it amazing how, given enough time and grace, how God uses those things for good? It's astounding. 
But we are going to realize and celebrate some successes. That's what the story tells us. And to anyone of us who has ears to hear, Jesus says this. If you've got ears, then you need to listen. You need to listen to him. If anyone lacks wisdom, all he or she has to do is ask. The parables of our storyteller are intended to awaken our hope in Christ. And to awaken our awareness in his present and his coming kingdom. Jesus wants to toughen up our faith and our determination. Are you okay with that? <laughs> Jesus will open the eyes of our understanding if we are courageous enough to obey things that have already been revealed. That's a pretty big caveat for me to put in there. Like, he's always faithful. But if you want to go further and far with Jesus, has there been things that he's been inviting you to let go of, things in your life to think differently about? Can you invite Jesus to give you the courage to respond to the things he's already revealing? If we do, I believe that the eyes of our understanding will be open. Like the crowd standing on the lake shore of Jesus' day, as, as we sow God's word into our heart, we need to invite the Spirit to help us think about God's work in our own day. This isn't just a... Being a follower of, of Jesus, I'm going to say to you right now, is not easy. Anybody agree with me? I, but I can't imagine it any other way. Christianity isn't about cozy little life lessons that are made to make us feel better. <laughs> and despite the severity of threats and the tides of cynicism, Jesus pressed into the work of his Father's kingdom all the way to the cross. He found new ways to sow the truth of God's love and power into every person he encountered. He invested all of himself. And maybe you, maybe you haven't got throngs of people standing at your door and waiting on every word that, that falls from your lips. I, I, know, I know that Debbie catches a few words that fall from my lips and then I get in trouble. So... Just once in a while. Hey, babes. I'm still a work in progress, guys. That's what I'm saying. But many of you, you, you have children. Or you've had children. You have spouses or siblings or neighbors or peers who benefit from your prayers and from any kind of encouragement that you might be able to sow into their hearts and lives. If, if you're a parent... That you know this. 
Anyone seriously invested in children, you already know that every child is uniquely different. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I was different than my sisters. I came along later on. I was, according to my father, a surprise. I'm sitting here, a surprise. I was very different than my older two sisters, my siblings. Every one of us, though, every one of these children has a particular language, don't they? Of, of, and, and a love of things. Have you, have you not seen that in children? Maybe in yourselves? They have something in this life that absolutely speaks to them. You put a guitar or a set of drums in front of Jack, and you, you watch that kid come alive. He's playing chords he doesn't even know right now. Singing songs that one day he will sing over us. And maybe with his sister accompanying and leading him. Who knows? And they're learning some of that stuff from their mom and dad who are sowing that into their hearts and lives. Well, teens and adults are like children. We're all like that. We all have a, a unique language and a love of things in this life. A way that we're made. Jesus found a way to reach out and to capture the hearts of his listeners. He did it then, and he can help us with people in our lives today. On some level, God is inviting us to be engaged with people in this world. To be among them, to walk among them. Who's God highlighted in your life? I believe God's speaking to us, but sometimes in the most quiet of ways, and oftentimes out of the quiet. 